And so as we go through chapter 6, you will notice some similarities to chapter 5 as well as far as the form of how it is written. Again, in, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it talks about why John wrote these things. He does these signs. He writes these specific signs so that we would believe in the Christ. And so chapter 5 began with Jesus healing the invalid, healing all disease, showing that he has authority over sickness and disease. And then after he does that, he, he teaches the people about what that truly means, about who he is, how he is God, and the people reject him. And we will see the same, th same thing today and in the weeks to come in chapter 6. Jesus will do a miraculous miracle. He will feed 5,000 people, as we will read about today, as well as women and children. We will see this miraculous sign, and Jesus will teach from this sign about the kingdom of God and how he is the bread of life. But the people will reject his teaching, and again, they will continue to plot against him in order to kill him. This is the only miracle uh, that is recorded in all four of the Gospels besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is such a unique miracle. Jesus makes something appear from nothing. It is a miracle of creation. We have five little barley loaves. They're, they're really just crackers that aren't much bigger than the communion bread that we're going to take today. And two fish. And with that, Jesus feeds thousands of people because he creates bread and crackers for the people to eat. In John 1, at the beginning of our of this gospel, when, when we read that, the, the series of the word, it says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is Jesus Christ, and it says that all things were made through him, and that without him was not anything made that was made. John, right from the start of his gospel, makes the bold claim that Jesus Christ, the man, the word, became flesh, and that this man was God. He says that Jesus created all things, and Jesus himself claims throughout John and in chapter 5 that he is God through these miraculous signs. Only God, only God can create something from nothing. And the whole point of this book, of the Gospel of John again, in, in chapter 20, verses 31 and 30 and 31, is that Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these specific signs that we read about are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There is only one place where life is found, and that is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word who became flesh, the just judge, the bread of life. And it is my prayer today that we would see through these verses, through this passage, that Jesus is God and that we would truly have life in his name. And so there are two main questions that I want us to think about as we read this text today. The first question is why? Why are you following Jesus? Or another way to put that is why are you here today, right now in this place with the people of God, worshiping God? Why are you here? And the second question, which is the whole purpose of John that we continue to come back to as Jesus proves time and time again, he is God. So do you believe that Jesus is God? In the Gospel of John, he continues to show that. So do you believe that he is who he says he is and what the scriptures reveal about him? So I'm going to go ahead and, and pray for us in our time, and then we're going to dig into the, the passage that we're reading this morning. Father, I just, uh, God, I thank you so much for, for today, Lord. I thank you so much for just the joy that fills my heart in getting to worship you through song, through fellowship, God, through just being together, the community and, and fellowship that comes um, with being with Christians, God. It just brings so much joy to my heart to, to hear people singing out and calling out to you to worship you, Lord. I just pray. Uh, that this morning through this passage, God, through this preaching, that we would just continue to do the same, God, that we would see just your miraculous works, God, and just that we would, we would trust in you because of that, just see what they, that they point to you. 
Father, help us to, to praise you and to give you the worship that you deserve. I pray for myself this morning, God. I just pray that you will give me wisdom, Lord, who is sufficient for the task of preaching your word, Lord. I just pray that your spirit would fill me this morning, God, and that what I preach would just be faithful to your word, God, and that we would just be encouraged, God, that the saints would be encouraged today, God, that we would be equipped for the works of the ministry through the preaching of your word and that it would just bring encouragement. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. And so in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, that'll be our text today. So I'm going to read that passage for us, and then we're going to walk through it and talk about what this means. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there is much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. <clears throat> and when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so we see right here, chapter 6, verse 1 says, After this. So after what? What comes before this passage that we're reading about today? In chapter 5, it was after his healing of the invalid, claims to be God, his teaching of his authorities, and the witnesses that affirm this. However, it is important to note that it is very possible that there is a long passing of time between chapters 5 and chapter 6. The Gospel of John was written for a specific purpose by John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is fascinating that John would put these two passages together, even though it's very possible and likely that, that there's been a significant amount of time that has passed in between this. John helps us understand kind of the seasons or the, the context of when he's writing these gospels by the different feasts that the Jews would have been celebrating during this time. And so at the beginning of chapter 5, it talks about how there's a feast of the Jews, and they're in Jerusalem at this point in time. And so we don't know specifically what feast that is, but as we move to chapter 6, we see that it's the time of the Passover. And so this feast is seemingly different than the feast that John talks about in chapter 5. Therefore, we can kind of understand and see that there's a significant amount of time, possibly even up to six months, that have passed between chapters 5 and chapter 6. And so last week we heard the five different witnesses that Jesus gives that prove that he is gone, John, that proves that he is God. John the Baptist, the signs that he does, the Father, the Scriptures, and Moses. And then directly after that, John places this story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men to once again prove that he is the Messiah, the Christ. 
In the beginning of chapter 5, as we said, there is a feast of the Jews. And so as I mentioned earlier, this sign is recorded in all four Gospels. And so we can see from the different Gospels kind of what comes right before this in, in Jesus' ministry, what him and his disciples are doing. So in Matthew 14, what happens directly before they go over to this other side, and the reason that Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a more desolate place <clears throat> is... Um, in, and so we'll see that through, through these different chapters. This is why it is so vital that we are a scripture-saturated people, that we are in the word of God daily, learning, observing, and reading what God's word says. Because this story is in all four gospels, and it is there that we get a fuller picture of everything that is going on before Jesus feeds, before Jesus feeds the 5,000. In, in 14, Matthew 14, it talks about how Jesus' relative, John the Baptist, who is one of those witnesses who bore witness to who Jesus was, has just been killed. He has been beheaded. And Jesus hears this news, and what does he do? He withdraws in a boat to a desolate place. And then in Mark 6, we get to see what the disciples are doing right before this miracle, right before chapter 6 of John. They had been sent out and given authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to preach repentance. And so the disciples return from their journey, from their preaching, and they are exhausted. There are many people coming and going so that they don't even have time to eat, it talks about. So Jesus and his disciples go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a desolate place to rest from their long journey and to mourn the death of John the Baptist. And verse 2 tells us as we go along in the passage that a large crowd was following him. And why were they following him? The text says that they were following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Again, why are they following Jesus? They are following him because of the miraculous signs that he was doing. They saw these signs. They saw all that Jesus was doing physically for the people, and they wanted to continue to be in the presence of him as he did these scenes, to see these miraculous signs. They were blinded to the fact that they were there to point them to the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, that he was God. And the scriptures clearly bear witness that when the Messiah came, that he would open the eyes of the blind, the deaf would hear, and the lame would walk. But they did not understand that all of these different witnesses, John the Baptist, the signs that Jesus did, the Father, the scriptures, and Moses all point to Jesus as God, as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Rather, they are there to see the physical things that he does and to enjoy the temporal, physical blessings that being with Christ provides. It is possible to enjoy the many benefits that come with being around the people of God, but to be dead and to not know God. It is possible to enjoy the community that comes when one is around Christians, to experience the love that Christians have for one another, to experience the way that Christians take care of each other, but to still be dead in your sins and to not know Christ. These blessings are attractive and can be here. And here today at Salt and Light, you can probably enjoy many of these blessings. You can be cared for. You can be loved. But you can do so. You can enjoy those blessings and not truly know who Jesus Christ is. And it is my fear that there may be some people here today that are here just for that, just to feel like they're not alone, but to not truly know who Jesus is. And if that is you, then you are missing out on so much of what Christ can offer and the whole point of what it truly means to be a Christian. None of the blessings in this life can truly satisfy. The only thing that can satisfy is Christ. Being in community cannot satisfy you. Having money cannot satisfy you. Being healed or a healthy person cannot satisfy you. The only thing that can truly bring life and can bring satisfaction is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. Believing that he is God and experiencing true life and peace can only be found in his name. 
Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected so that sinners could be brought from death to life, not so that they could be healed or fed, but so that they can have life. So please, as a church, do not be like these crowds who are only following Jesus for the physical blessings that come with that. As the text says, they were following because of the signs, but they failed to see that those signs are there to show us that Jesus is God. These people are spiritually dead. And we will see this in the weeks to come in chapter 6. Jesus teaches them that he is the bread of life. And what do these people do? They say that this is a hard saying and they leave him. They walk away. Jesus tells them not to work for the food that perishes, but to work for the food that endures to eternal life and they leave him. They only are there to satisfy their own sinful desires. They do not want God. They reject Jesus. And if they do not repent, then their fate is not eternal life, but it is eternal punishment in hell for their sin. When Jesus raises them up on the last day, as Josh talked about Uh, two weeks ago in our passage in in John chapter 5. Every single one of us is going to die someday. It doesn't matter if you're a little baby, if you're 90 years old. Every single one of us is going to die. And on that last day, when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise us all up. We will all be raised, some of us to eternal life, some of us to death. And those who have done good will be raised to life, those who have done evil to judgment. If you are a person who is following God, who is here today at church, just for the temporal things, the physical blessings. If you don't truly know God, then when you are raised up on the last day, you will not be raised to life, but you will be raised to judgment. And as we move on in, in verse three though, Jesus knows who are his, whose are his. He knows whom he has given life to, and he knows who will pass to judgment. He knows the hearts of men, as, as that song said earlier today. Oh Lord, you know the hearts of men, and still you let them live. Let, let them live. Jesus knows the hearts of men. So in verse 3, it says, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. He spent time with his sheep. He sits down with those who are his, his disciples. And it says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, as we mentioned earlier. So why is this Passover significant? It was a feast, a celebration of God providing deliverance to his people and delivering them from the oppression and the slavery that they were experiencing in Egypt. As we've talked about before, the blood of a lamb would be spread over the doorpost of God's people, the Israelites, and because of that, the angel of death would pass over their house and let the firstborn live. But the Egyptians, who were not covered by this blood, had the firstborn of all the land killed, and then the Pharaoh finally lets the people of Israel go, and Moses leads them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea towards the Promised Land. This deliverance is what is at the forefront of the minds of the crowds and the people who are following Jesus today, because they are about to celebrate this feast. So this will help us understand the the people's response in, in verses 14 and 15 as we get there. But what does the text say as we go back to that? It says that even though Jesus was spending time with his own, with his disciples, Jesus lifts up his eyes and he sees the large crowds coming towards him. Even though he knew that they were not following him because of their belief in him, but only because of the signs that he was doing and the blessing that being in the presence provides, he still lifts up his eyes and Jesus sees them. Jesus is a God who sees, as we've talked about so much in the heart of the gospel and throughout this series, he is a God who sees the brokenness and the sick and just the sinfulness in people. In Mark, in the account of this story, it says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And in Matthew, it says he had compassion on them. Despite the intentions of one's heart, God sees people, he loves people, and he has compassion on people. We've seen in the first five chapters of John his heart for people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
<clears throat> he sees these crowds and he has compassion on them. And as followers of Christ, we are to do the same. He turns to his disciples and he shows them what it truly looks like to love people, to have compassion and to see people. And so in verse five, it says, and so he turns to Philip and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? This was a test because Jesus knew what he would do. He is testing Philip to see if he believes that Jesus truly is God, if he believes that Jesus is who he says that he is, if he believes the witnesses that came before that prove that Jesus is God. And Philip, in his lack of faith, not trusting, not remembering all of the miracles that Jesus has done, not fully trusting that he is God, the creator, the one who can create something from nothing, responds, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to even get a little. This is about eight months of salary, and he responds with, even if we had that amount of money, the, the average uh, or the minimum wage in Ohio is roughly $8.55. So even if they had eight months of, of $8.55 times 40 hours, that would be somewhere between twelve dollars and $13,000. Even if they had that amount of money, they could not feed these people is, is his response. Not to mention that they are far from any town or village that they could actually go to buy bread. So then Jesus turns to Andrew, another disciple, whose response is not much better. He says, there is a boy here with five loaves of bread, which is really just small little crackers that aren't much bigger than the communion bread that we're taking this morning, and two fish. But again, his response is, what is that for so many? They do not believe that Jesus has just taught us in the chapter before that they do not believe the witnesses that provide more than enough evidence that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God incarnate. Jesus has explained so many times that what the Father does, Jesus imitates, and he also does. So when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after being delivered from slavery, what does the Father do? The Father provides manna, bread, for his people every single day in the wilderness so they could have food to eat. Philip and Andrew do not see that since the Father has done this, Jesus can also do this here right now today in the presence of all these people. Do you believe what the scriptures teach about Jesus, that he is God, that he is capable and does what the Father does? Or do you lack faith in the presence of a situation that does not seem possible, that seems hopeless? And so what does Jesus do in response to their, their lack of faith? He says, have the people sit down. And it says there was about 5,000 men, which if you read the account in Matthew 14, it says, as well as women and children. Most people believe that at a very minimum, there is at least 10,000 people who are there today, but there is probably closer to 20,000 when you account for the men, the women, and the children. And so what seems like a hopeless situation with hardly any food and no money and no place to buy food, Jesus simply states, have the people sit down. And Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he gives thanks. He thanks the Father for what he has provided, and he distributes it to the people who are seated. And verses 11 and 12 says that the people ate as much as they wanted, and they ate till they were full. What is, what is so little bread and fish for so many is the response of Andrew. And what does Jesus do? He creates and does what only God can do. And he proves to everyone there beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is God. And everyone ate their fill of their loaves, and there was 12 baskets filled with what remained, is what it says. 
In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And that is what Jesus does to, right here today in this story. He physically feeds these people, the sheep without a shepherd, for he is our shepherd. He makes them to lie down in the green grass, and he restores their soul. He, suffer, he gives them. They have no want, it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what does he do? He feeds these people so that they have no want. This is a physical picture in our story of the spiritual reality of what it will look like when we come to the bread of life, when we eat the bread of life who is Jesus. As chapter 6 says, Jesus is the bread of life, and he says that whoever comes to him will never hunger. He physically fed these people here in our story today, but in the weeks to come as we study this chapter, he will show that those who spiritually feed on Jesus will never hunger, but they will have eternal life and they will have their fill. And not only does he feed all of the people there to their fill, but there are 12 baskets full left over of, of, the, of the parley loaves and of the fish and each of those baskets was being held by those 12 disciples who scarcely, in the story before, as we read about, they, they're going out and doing ministry. And there's so many people coming and going that they don't even have the leisure. They don't even have the time to eat. And what does God do? He doesn't forget about his sheep either. He provides 12 baskets full for his disciples as well. And so Jesus also ensures that his sheep are taken care of and that they are fed. Can you just imagine sitting there in the grass, being fed by Jesus with five little crackers and two little fish the size of sardines, pretty much, and eating your fill along with 20,000 other people. Just take a step back and picture that for a moment. Here at Stowe, we, we feed, usually Monday through Friday, we serve a community lunch that normally feeds around 250 to 300 people. And that takes a lot of work to compare, to, to prepare all that work. And it's a costly costly thing as well, but Jesus here in our story just distributes. He prays, he gives thanks to God, and he feeds 20,000 people with five little crackers and, and two fish. And so what is the response of the people to this miracle? How do they respond to this man doing what is impossible? They once again, they see the sign that he is doing. There's no denying that Jesus fed 20,000 people. For every, every one of them partook of this miracle and was and was they, they, they saw him do this. And there's no account in scripture of anybody saying that this miracle didn't happen. And what is the response of the people? They again, they see this sign and they even proclaim correctly who Jesus is. They say in verse 14, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And this is a reference back to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22, as Josh read for us last week where Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And this is Moses speaking. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the, that the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet, 
has not spoken the prophet who has spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So they correctly proclaim that Jesus is this prophet who is spoken of by Moses. That is correct. However, their response to this could not be more wrong. Once again, the question remains, why are you following Jesus? Are you following him for healing from disease? Are you following him because he provides food for you to eat? Are you following him because you believe that he will free you from an oppressive government? These are why the people here are following him. They think that he has come to be a conquering king and to bring physical but temporal freedom from the oppression that they experience being under Roman rule and that he will provide for their every physical need. But this is not the reason that Jesus came. If it was, then he would not have withdrawn by himself. If you are following Jesus because you think that he will give you health, wealth, food, and freedom from the physical oppression in this life, then you are not following Jesus. Again, if you are following Jesus because you think that he will give you health, wealth, food, and freedom from physical oppression in this life, then you are not following Jesus. This is a perfect opportunity for him to claim his earthly throne that these people thought that he came to do. He has 20,000 people behind him ready to crown him as king, and the people are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. But no, he dismisses the people, and he goes away to a mountain to pray by himself. Jesus did not come to seek his own glory. He did not do these signs for his own glory. He came to do the will of the one who sent him. He came to do the work of God, and the work of God is that people would believe in Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and that they would have eternal life in his name. This is the will of the Father. He sent Jesus, the bread of life, down to earth to eternally satisfy the hunger of his people. Jesus feeding the 5,000 was a sign to prove, to point to Jesus, to point to him that he is God, and that life can only be found in his name, that people would believe in him and experience true life. And so again, these two questions need to be answered and thought about. Why are you following Jesus? Why are you here today? And then, do you believe that Jesus is who he truly says he is? Or do you believe that he is just some person who came to, and this, is, this gathering of together is just a place to be, to experience community or, or friendship or even hunger, to, to be fed or to, to have health. Those are not inherently bad things, but those are not the reason that Jesus came. And if that is what you put your hope in, then you are going to be left empty when, when Jesus returns and when you're raised again. And I'm just going to, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to, take communion and just remember, uh, remember what Jesus did for us on, on the cross. And so let us pray. Father, I just, God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for your church. God, I thank you that we can be a, the light of the world right here on the south side of Columbus. Father, I thank you for just this building that you've given us, Father, that we can meet together and that we can give glory and praise and worship to your name. Father, I thank you for this passage. God, I thank you that you've proved yourself time and time again through the gospel of John, that you are God that you are the Messiah, that you are the Christ, and that you have come to take away the sins of the world. Father, I pray that every single one of us would be encouraged by that message today. Lord, and if there are people here who have not trusted in you, God, who are following you for the wrong reasons, I pray, God, that they would repent of that, that they would turn to you, and that they would just come to the bread of life, and they would experience true life that can only be found in your name. Father, give us just just peace. Help us to, to meditate on this passage and on just your scripture throughout the week, Father. We want to be a scripture-saturated people, so we pray that you would just help us to hunger and thirst for your word more than anything else in the world, God. Uh, I thank you again just for for your church. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.